This is a special report from Novell Open Audio. Today, Novell and SecureWave announced an agreement to allow Novell and Novell Channel Partners to sell SecureWave's Sanctuary Suite. Sanctuary Suite provides policy-based control for the devices and applications that can be used on enterprise endpoints such as end-users' workstations. For applications, this is probably pretty clear. It allows you to control what applications a user can actually run. But with devices, we're here talking about any modular device, such as USB drives, printers, iPods, and so on. And one of the immediate scenarios that comes to mind for me is the data leakage happening out of organizations. If you're an organization that is data paranoid, you want to keep your uh, your data in-house, keeping people from being able to export it via small drives, small devices, iPods, and things like that, this allows you to rein in that uncontrolled data uh, export from your organization. One of the things that's really cool about the Sanctuary Suite is that it does this all based on user identity. So uh, when we talk about application lockdown and things, by using users and groups out of, say, Novell eDirectory or Microsoft's Active Directory, you can actually control who can use which applications. To get a better idea of what the Sanctuary Suite technology does, our senior correspondent for data and application security, Caitlin Jans, spoke to SecureWave's Dennis Sarazen about the Sanctuary Suite. Let's go to that interview now. Hi, my name's Caitlin Jans, and today we're going to be talking to Dennis Sarazen from SecureWave about the Sanctuary Product Suite. Dennis, tell us a little bit about the Sanctuary Product Suite. All right, well, first off, uh, let me tell you a little bit about SecureWave. Sounds good. Um, we're a Luxembourg-based company. We've been around for, this is our sixth year, going into our sixth year of business. We've been profitable for four of those years. Um, we have about a million and a half seats installed worldwide and 1,100 customers. And what we have installed is something called Sanctuary, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Sanctuary has two components to it. One has um, a device control aspect to it, and the other is application control. And both of those are policy-based solutions enabling enterprises to control which applications and which devices their end users can plug in and use on their laptops and desktops. Okay. So in a nutshell, this is a policy-based solution that works with any directory-oriented uh, company that has either eDirectory or Active Directory installed. Okay. And wants to set policies for their users and user groups about which devices and how they're used in which applications and how they're used as well. Okay, so let's just run through briefly how you would install this in a customer environment. Well, so I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if an administrator was to look at installing this, they would install right. a backend and then an end on the client as well. So how yeah. do, how would we approach like installing the backend and configuring it and then the client side as well? Okay, there's a couple of pieces that you have to know about. Um, there's a client component that lives on each and every managed laptop and desktop. Okay. Um, it's lightweight. It manifests itself as a device driver. So you as an end user. So it's not, not a service that I can go and like stop the service or anything like nope. that? You can hit control, delete all you want and look for services and start deleting stuff. The only thing that we have running on the desktop that is a service is the communications module that talks to you as an end user and lets you know what your status is currently with any application and device. Okay. And so, yeah, you can go ahead and stop that, but all you're doing is blinding yourself. Uh, the device driver that provides the policy enforcement and enablement aspect and the reporting and logging, that runs at a device driver again, and that is not something that an end user can interact with. 
So do we see anything on our system tray at all? Do, what So apart from like, does the user get a pop-up message if there's something that, that they need to be notified about? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, so the whole infrastructure, there is a, a client component talking to a server component at the network level. Okay. You can have multiple server components. In fact, we recommend always placing at least two server components for failover and backup and recovery mm -hmm. and for performance. Okay. Um, and uh, there's also a database component that where we store our and let app, uh, admin folks develop policy and store policies and also store all the, the, the log data that we create for application and device use. Uh, let me explain that a little bit. Every time somebody tries to run an application or tries to plug in a device and use it, successfully or unsuccessfully, a log entry is created and you know uh, time stamped and sent up so that the administrator can look anytime and understand when devices were plugged in and unsuccessful use, for example. Okay. Okay. Um, and so um, that's basically the infrastructure, those pieces that exist. So we have like we have some a backend server that hooks in with eDirectory with our what with our users and our groups and our ACLs. Right. <clears throat> and that that is like over half of the challenge of deploying sanctuary. If you have users and user groups already defined uh -huh. in eDirectory or Active Directory, you've gone at least half of the way towards developing a policy uh, for device and application use. Okay. The rest of it is simply understanding what applications you have out there. Uh, Zenworks does a great job at capturing some of that information already. You know that. Um, and so the other aspect of it is, is hooking in how you want people to interact with those applications, whether you want to create user groups and say user groups, um, user group A, which is general population, has uh, the right to use office products, um, word processing products, you know, spreadsheets and things like that. And then you have specialized use. You can even do it down to the individual level. So if you want users, individual users to have access to specialized applications only, like mm -hmm. HR applications or CRM applications, you can do that as well. Oh, um, that's good. So you've got a bit of granularity there. Absolutely. Um, and there's even more granularity on the device side. Um, if you think about it, there's so many different devices out there today. You know, um, just looking at the class of what's considered mass storage or removable media today, mm -hmm. yeah. everything from um, 200 gigabyte uh, Buffalo uh, you know, mass storage devices, uh, hard drives. iPods. Firewire, hard, hard pod, USB, iPods, MP3 players. Mm -hmm. Even... You know, compact flashcards stuck in printers can be considered as mass storage. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so there's all sorts of different ways that uh, you and I as end users can capture information and read and write it back and forth into the enterprise. That's one of the major issues that we're experiencing now from a data leakage perspective. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's a major security vulnerability there. Absolutely. You know, so um, just part of that challenge is just knowing what people are doing and how they're moving data in and out. So I guess that with all of the logging, the administrators <clears throat> are able to monitor exactly what uses what what uses the or what devices the users are bringing in mm -hmm. and what information they're using and, and communicating and putting on those devices right, right and that's that's just day one without even understanding what a policy is and enforcing a policy in place now if you want to take it to the next level the next level is defining a policy that says um, i do want people to use read write devices but um, inside the enterprise we need to keep everything confidential so if they're going to write anything out to a, a personal media device I'm going to enforce encryption on it, for example. Mm -hmm. um, iPods, you can do a specific class and say just, you know, iPods to themselves, MP3 players are a unique class. Mm -hmm. We'll allow them, but not 
nine to five, Monday through Friday. You know, I don't want Could you configure using... it also so that they can't actually put information on their iPod so they couldn't download music files to their iPod during work hours? Precisely. But they could just listen to their music during while they're working? Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it'd be a revolution out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, whole, the whole deal behind uh, removable media these days, the whole reason it's an issue is not because in and of themselves mass storage are bad things. It's that we as individuals are trying to bring our personal lives and our personal lifestyles into the enterprise. And that's where they collide with our professional lifestyles, you know, mm -hmm. where we have rigor that says that we have regulatory compliance issues, we have data leakage issues, we have security requirements. All those things have to hit someplace, you know. And so we as end users have to reconcile our personal and professional lives somewhere. And sanctuary is a way of, of doing that reconciliation without having to just absolutely ban, you know, the existence and, and the interaction of, of personal devices in the enterprise. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's actually a great way to allow people to do things like listen to music while they're typing, uh, you know, while they're coding or um, to transcribe, you know, patient records onto their MP3 players, but make sure that those MP3 players are not used at a home PC ever, mm -hmm. you know, to, to offload those patient records. And so it's kind of bringing, um, allowing the best of both worlds to kind of interact at the enterprise level. Okay. So I guess you can make distinctions between different types of devices. So you could have, say, your iPod for certain users, and you could still have like a USB card reader or a fingerprint reader mm -hmm. and things like that. So you're able to configure all kinds of different devices depending on which user, what, like a profile or a group of users that you configure from a management perspective? Yes, absolutely. Um, there's a couple of considerations. Uh, first off, I'll tell you that there's no two enterprises alike in the world. Uh, everybody's going to have a different policy about behaviors, about how they want their devices and their applications to be used by individuals. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll also tell you that uh, we have to be flexible in, in how much granularity we provide. Um, you can be as granular as we have some enterprises, large banks, that are now doing power buys. They want to provision all their end users with a specific memory stick from a specific uh, vendor that's a very specific model that might, for example, incorporate hardware encryption on, on the thing. It might also have their user credentials, you know, their identities embedded on this thing as well. Mm -hmm. And so they only want that memory uh, stick to be used. So what happens if a user comes along and they put in another memory stick? Won't that's work. not the one. Won't work. So how does that work on a back-end perspective? Does that, does the driver communicate with the like a client that then talks to a back-end server? Or explain yeah. that to me. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it, it might be as easy as popping a water balloon inside and, you know, frying your machine or something like that. But, you know, the truth is what <laughs> happens is a, a log entry is created. You as an end user are notified that you're trying to use a device that you're not uh, authorized to use. Okay. And it also gives you a, a customizable message that, that allows the administrator to set a call to action for that end user to take. Okay. So if it's call help desk at this 800 number or... You're trying to use a memory stick that's not provisioned for you specifically. Here's what you do. Mm -hmm. You can specify that. Um, in addition to that, um, the administrator will get a logged entry that says, here's your exception report of all the devices that have been attempted to be used unsuccessfully in the enterprise. Mm -hmm. By whom and by, you know, at what time and all that sort of thing. We also log uh, successful usage. So if you want to keep track of what files have walked out, to, walked out of the enterprises by who, and when and on what types of devices, you can keep track of that as well. So how exactly do you, do you monitor the files? How are you keeping that log? What kind of information? I mean, how is that information actually It's stored? pretty granular. It, it's going to be, at, at its most base level, it's going to be, you know, the path, 
the file name, the file type, the user, the time of day, the device it was transmitted to, the size of the file, that type of information. And so is that synced up at a regular interval or can you configure when you want to sync that up to the management yeah, console a, or how does that work? Good question. Um, the first thing we do is cache that locally, you know, okay. in a hidden file that's encrypted, you know, so that you as so a user, user can't find it and go and delete it. <laughs> you know, you can't. Uh, so the first thing you do is going to be cached. And if there's network connectivity, um, it's either going to be on a scheduled boundary um, transmitted up to the central database okay. so that it can be consolidated with other like data. Uh-huh. and build into reports for the administrator, or it can be sent dynamically if it's an important piece of information. Okay. And so that's that's simply how it works. And the same thing on the application control side as well. If you look at the breadth and depth of applications today, and first off, you know, if you look at application control, it's not just a malware protection device. Um, it may have started as being a good way of controlling, preventing malware from running. You know, in fact, that's what it does very, very well. There's not a single piece of malware that can execute without permission. Mm -hmm. And we simply block every aspect of, of malware today. Um, we create a log entry, let you know what the name of the file name file was, where it was located, how it was uh, introduced, all that information. And that's all logged. Um, so how, sorry to interrupt, how do you actually configure which applications you're going to allow? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, there's several different wizards that we provide. You can either do it by golden standard, in other words, point at a group of machines and say, scan these, and these are the acceptable application load that we that we um, authorize. Okay. Or you can do it on, on an exception basis. You know, when an application tries to run and it's not allowed, you can point at it and say, we're going to allow that one and put it on the whitelist. Okay. Um, or if you have a patch management system or a remediation system, you can look at all the load coming from that and say, everything that this patching system is going to transfer, it's whitelisted. Okay. Um, we automatically, out of the box, um, whitelist all the Microsoft off, um, um, OS entities immediately, you know, so that um, three, three, um, at least half of, of what you're trying to transmit is already whitelisted for you. Okay. Um, and we also allow uh, the automated um, whitelisting of, of anything that's that's automated uh, coming from Microsoft from a patch level. Mm -hmm. You know, update services, all mm -hmm. those things are automatically patched um, and automatically whitelisted as well. Okay. So with the, the Sanctuary, the, the custom Sanctuary product, there's, there's some cryptography hashes that are used for each file. So can you go into a little <laughs> bit of the details on that? I'm sure there's some people that want to know all the specifics. Yeah, these are all the anal bowels of the, the product, and uh, I guess we can talk about these things. Um, the way the product works is, is extremely simple. Um, the way I look at it is that our client component is a device driver again. Mm -hmm. It is, um, it's, I would love to say that it's a really clever security heuristics thing that detects uh, when bad behavior is happening and blows a whistle on it. Man. In truth, it is the most dumb doorman possible. You know, all it knows is you as a user, um, it knows what an application looks like and is able to fingerprint that dynamically and compare that against a list, a SHA-1 hash list of allowed applications. And if there's a match, you're in business. You're running. You, you will not even know that there was a delay in checking that list. Okay. If it's not on the list, you'll be notified as an end user that you know, you're trying to run an application or an application is trying to run without your knowledge, mm -hmm. for example. Um, and it's not on the whitelist. And it gives you, again, that message and a call to action to take if you think this message was received in error. Okay. Simple as that. 
Um, and it can't be any simpler. The solution was designed to be lightweight, scalable, take up minimal machine resources. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, um, some of the anti-spyware and anti-malware solutions out there can take up to 35% of the machine's services and bandwidth. Wow. Um, this, so how big is the client overhead that we have on the clients? Client overhead, the footprint is, um, I know I'm going to misquote this, but I think it's less than a couple of megs um, okay. big. Um, the, the whitelist itself varies, you know, for device and application control. It depends on how many applications you're actually allowing. Mm -hmm. um, a typical enterprise can run anywhere from 300 to 2,200 applications. Mm -hmm. And uh, depending on what, how many of those are allocated, it could be, you know, several megs big or, or much smaller than that. Um, in terms of bandwidth, we, we only transmit changes to the whitelist. So we're not retransmitting a, a whole whitelist each time. Oh, okay. You know, so you're doing something like delta changes. Yeah, delta changes. Um, and in terms of, of logging reporting, you know, it, it, the, the log entries themselves are just with the file name, file, file type, path. Mm -hmm. user, time date, you know, that type of thing, you know, so, so pretty, there's pretty simple, basically pretty lightweight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've designed it specifically to be that way because, you know, again, we are an enterprise level product. It's not meant for a 10 seat, you know, um, shop in the back room. Um, it's designed for, for companies as large as hundreds of thousands of, of desktops and laptops that they need to manage or as few as 50. Okay. And in terms of that, uh, the way the product is priced is we price by seat. Um, mm -hmm. The infrastructure components that we talked about, the server component, uh, the, the database component, the admin GUI, those are non-priced. You know, so it doesn't matter how big your enterprise is, you're probably going to be able to fit a solution from us. You know, it was designed literally to lower the cost of entry burden within that. Well, this sounds like something that could really benefit companies, especially from a securities perspective, and you get a return on investment on this. Well, you won't get me contradicting that statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's about it for today. I'd like to thank you, Dennis, for coming and talking to us, and hopefully we'll talk to you again in the future. It's a real pleasure. This concludes our special report on SecureWave Sanctuary Suite. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.